Welcome to Your Next Chapter, the podcast dedicated to providing you with the game changers and experts to tackle the next chapter of your life. Whether you want to start a business, pivot in your career, or get in the best shape of your life, I provide the guests to draw tactics, insight, and inspiration from to conquer your next chapter. Thank you for tuning into the episode today. I am so excited for a guest. I think you guys are going to love her. I got Alexi Panos on the line with me. She just published her first book, 50 Ways to Yay. She's a thought leader, author, entrepreneur, artist, philanthropist, and motivational speaker. I am thrilled to have her as a guest on the show. She was just named one of 11 noteworthy millennials by the Huffington Post. In the episode, we get into how we're addicted to our stories and how the stories we tell ourselves are what hold us back from leading the life that we want. We talk about Epic, everyday people initiating change, her nonprofit that provides clean water for people in Africa. We talk about how she was able to build this organization in her 20s when she thought she wasn't successful enough, wasn't rich enough, wasn't well-connected enough, and how one story in the news shifted her entire perspective. We talk about her fiance, Preston Smiles, and how she knew she found the one when she did. She gives some incredible relationship advice that can help us all. So without further ado, here we go. Hello everyone, I have Alexi Panos with me today on Skype here from California. Alexi, thank you so much for joining me and taking the time to sit down with me and my audience. Of course, happy to be here. You just published a book, 50 Ways to Yay. How is that going? Oh, man, it's going so well. It's like it's one of those things that is totally a mind trip because I spent all this time writing this book, and it's been years in the making. Like the first draft of this book was done almost three years at this point. So it's it's really cool to see it in bookstores and to be like, oh, my gosh, that's the book. That's the book that I wrote. Um, and what's even better is is getting emails and, and Facebook messages from people all around the world who are like, I bought your book, and this chapter changed my life, and that's that's the best thing in the world for me. So it's just been really cool. Yeah, I went to chapters here in Canada, and then I saw your book on the shelf, and I was like, that's so cool. I'm going to have the podcast coming up, and so I grabbed myself a copy, because I didn't realize it was in Canada yet, and I thought I was going to have to order it like through yeah. Amazon or whatever, but it's up here too, so congratulations on that. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's been crazy. Like People all around the world have found it, and I didn't even know it was going to be available and be out on all those different you know channels, so it's it's just awesome, and I'm enjoying it and celebrating along the way, so it's pretty cool. Awesome. I like to lead off my podcast by asking all my guests, if your life was a book title, what would be the book title for your life? Ah, this is so good because I'm actually, like, this book title came to me, so I actually want to write this book, uh, kind of about my life story, uh, called Imperfect, uh, but put an apostrophe between the I and the M, and it would be I'm perfect, but I'm kind Ah. of holding up the perfect because it's the whole joke is that everything is perfectly imperfect in life and my whole journey has been about um, releasing the attachment to perfect releasing the need for it to look a certain way sound a certain way be a certain way um, and really just being in the dance with the imperfection of everything and accepting that and really doing it with grace and 
you know, unbridled joy and bliss and just really accepting life because that's what life is. Life is perfect imperfection all the time. And it's this constant state of flow and ups and downs and goods and bads and, and terror and bliss. And it's just, it's everything. So I think that the more I understand that and the more I accept that, the more I come to terms with my own humanity and humility and find joy in that. I like the play on imperfection. I think that's really clever. I like that a lot. Yeah, thank you. So maybe that'll be on book book sh uh, shelves one day. Who knows? <laughs> Why do you think we get attached to perfection? What is it about people? I think a lot of people struggle with this and their perfection, their identity. Why do you have such a hard time accepting being imperfect, even though every human being is imperfect in their own little way? Yeah, I think because we're sold the lie from TV and marketing that perfection is actually attainable. You know, we're sold the lie in magazines when they're photo brushing everyone. We're sold the lie in TV when they're showing the highlight reel of reality TV stars and and most of that most people don't know is all made up. And it's funny because then society as a whole goes, "Oh, well, I, I look at my life and my life kind of sucks compared to what I'm seeing on Instagram and on reality TV and on the magazines and I need to step my game up, right? And it's so funny. It's massive FOMO. It's massive fear massive, of missing out. Exactly. Yeah, like everyone's got FOMO like shit. My life sucks and I want that. Meanwhile, that's not even real. And I think, you know, because we're just being indoctrinated that you're not enough, you're not enough, you're not enough, you're not enough, over and over again in all these little insidious ways, we believe it. And we start to believe the lie and we buy into it and it makes us great consumers, which is amazing for, you know, the economic leg of most of our countries, but it's really terrible for the soul. And the soul doesn't want to consume, the soul just wants to be, and the soul wants to be accepted and loved and honored. And I think it's like the easiest simple secret of the universe you know how do I find joy how do I tap into bliss how do I find happiness honor your soul and it's like the simplest secret of the universe but it's the cosmic joke because nobody wants to look inside everyone's looking outside for the answer and hoping that will will solve all their problems you know more money more clothes better body better partner and it's all here it's all inside well because the big companies are not marketing love yeah. your soul, right? They're saying buy, exactly. buy, buy more and not yes. love self, right? And that's a Man, if part. we loved ourselves, no one would go shopping. You know, it's like if you loved yourselves and truly honored your soul, you would not need all this stuff. Like you look at how much stuff we have. Like it's so ridiculous how much stuff we have. And it's because we're we're seeking and we're hoping that that stuff will fill a hole. And it does momentarily for like a week maybe. And then we need more. And how do you honor your soul? What do you your day-to-day -day practice that really allows you to honor your soul and really give yourself that energy and that richness to live your life the way yeah, you Yeah, I think the biggest practice for me in that has been listening. Um, I kept my really busy for a really long time, like ridiculously busy. Um, I'm an achiever. I'm ambitious. I'm driven. Total type A personality. And that fire and that ambition and that drive kept me constantly in a cycle of doing. And as I was doing, my brain's always, you know, present moment, okay, complete, then I'm on to the next thing. Like, there was never space for me to actually sit and listen. And what I recognized is, is in my listening 
first it was really scary to just be still and be silent and listen because um, my thoughts were still going a million miles an hour when I stopped, you know. Um, but when I actually began to be into in the practice of that, it was amazing how much I learned about myself, how much I didn't even know about myself, you know. And listening is key because our souls are always kind of talking to us and always telling us exactly what we need to know, exactly the right insight, the right information, I'm constantly getting downloads about, you know, the next business project or a new creative idea for a video or a course. And it's always been right here. I just have to listen to it. And that's the biggest thing. You know, I, I go for walks in nature and listen. I go for bike rides and listen. I sit on the beach and listen. I sit in meditation and listen. I take a shower and listen. I'm sure a lot of people had that thing that happens in the shower where it's like, I get so many good ideas in the shower. It's because you're silent because there's no music on, because there's no you know, iPhone to be scrolling through because our brains have a second to just turn off and then our intuitive voice turns up. And that's when the magic happens. I watched one of your recent YouTube videos and you talked about how we're addicted to our stories. And this is the yeah. latest video that you just put out recently. And you said, you know, people are attached to drama or, you know, what doesn't work or we're never enough. And this might sound counterintuitive that we can be addicted to these painful stories, repeating our pain again and again. But why is that? Why do we get addicted to these stories and why do we keep ourselves small? So yeah, well, you know, I think, like you said, it sounds ridiculous, right? When I tell this to my coaching clients, they're like, what do you mean? I'm not addicted to my pain. And it does sound crazy, but there's always a payoff. And the payoff might be that other people can commiserate with you, that you feel like that's how you bond with people. With, things aren't working out well, then at least you stay on the same level as your friends, or you always get to be the martyr and someone gets to take care of you. There's always a payoff. And while I don't necessarily know what everyone's individual payoff is, there is one. And the crazy thing is, is you know when you're actually done with the pain, when you just decide to be done with it. And you know, I've had a lot of these moments where I was circling in this same story for a really long time and going, why does this keep happening? I don't understand. Why does this keep coming up for me? Why, 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 why? And then I finally got that, oh, right, I'm actually addicted to my suffering because I've somehow identified as it. It's, been, it's become a part of my identity that this is a quote-unquote thing for me, right? And I remember one day I just got so sick of it. I was like, I'm done with this story. I'm done identifying myself as this type of girl. I'm just done. Like, done, done, done. I drew a line in cement and I was like, no more. This is it. And then from that point on, I started identifying as a completely different human. And it was because I was actually ready to be done with it. Was there a moment, like, was there some kind of experience that you had that really nailed that final nail in the coffin and really made you draw that line? In the yeah, story? I think... I mean, I'll give a, a recent one. Like, for instance, in my relationship with Preston, there were certain things that I used to get away with in my past relationships, um, just ways of behavior, ways, ways of being, like playing the victim. And, and it worked in my past relationships. And in this relationship, you know, Preston and I hold each other accountable at a totally different level because we we're both coaches and we're both in it together and we've both made an agreement to hold each other to the highest standard. So there's just no getting around any BS. Like you, you just can't get away with it. And I remember there was a moment where I used one of my old tactics to try and like get away with some stuff. And 
he held me accountable for it. And I sat in it and I didn't like it at first. Like my ego and my pride was like, oh, you know, like I wanted to win. And, um, and I recognized how much damage it could do to something really beautiful. And I made a choice in that moment where I said, you know what? I'm more committed to having a love relationship, real love, like a deep, deep love and understanding than I am to perpetuating my victim story and my stories that I'm attached to and my pain and poor me, I'm done. And I just saw what that story created in my past. I've seen what that story has created in my friends and in my family members. And I just wasn't willing to lose everything because of it. For people who are addicted to their pain, how do they move past it? A, how do they recognize it? And B, how do they move past it? Yeah, the biggest way to recognize what story you're addicted to is ask your friends. Ask the people that you talk to all the time. They will tell you. I can literally, like, I'm thinking about my five closest friends right now, guys and girls and family members. I could tell you what every single pain story is that they're addicted to because it's the one that keeps coming up. Right, and it's it's the victim story, the woe is me story that comes up all the time, every couple months when they're having a bad day. And I always tell my clients, like, ask your friends, ask people you're closest to what keeps coming up for you. What's the same pattern that you keep living out? And once you have awareness of that pattern, then you you begin to catch yourself in the pattern because now you you see it, right? And, and mm -hmm. Preston and I say in our work, you cannot intervene in a world that you truly cannot see. So until we have awareness of what that thing is that's running us, we have no way to intervene and do anything different. So once we know, then we start picking it up like, oh, I'm doing that thing. There's my pain story. Okay, now I have a choice. Now, do I want to perpetuate the pain story? I'm seeing what it's doing. I'm seeing what it's causing. I don't like the results. Or do I want to create something totally different? And then we can play with it. And it's not an overnight process. It's not like a one-two punch, you're done. It's a awareness, adjust, awareness, adjust. And it takes time. But when we get to the point when we're actually really done and we're ready to drop our, you know, our attachment to our ego and our pride and being right and being a victim, then we can make the move and the switch full time into something new. I recently came forward on a podcast about my sexuality, how I dated both men and women over the last several years in Vancouver when I lived there. And one thing that I realized is that I was, you know, seeking out relationships that were not very significant, mm -hmm. right? They're basically surface level. And so what this forced me to do is really kind of do a deep dive into self-love and really understand, like, where do I need to love myself more? Because I was so much shame for yeah. so long about this hidden side of me where it's like I wasn't comfortable talking to people about the fact that I was dating men and just really, like, you know, I thought it ate away at being a, a man or my masculinity, right? And it really created a lot of trauma. So I really now flipped the script and come more towards self-love. I'm curious to know, what do you do for your own self-love practice? Like, what do you do to practice that and really shower the parts of yourself that you might not necessarily love about yourself with a lot of light? Yeah, I think, you know, I think we all kind of go through those moments where we feel like we don't fit in, you know, and kudos to you for... for standing in that truth because I do know like when when we're hiding out it's going back to that thing we were saying in the beginning we're all trying to be perfect and fit into this version of whatever we think perfect looks like for you you have this perfect idea of what manhood looked like and for me I had this perfect idea of success and and womanhood and for me that looks different than for a lot of people and I think 
the biggest thing that I'm coming to terms with and and really coming into relationship with deep relationship with is my feminine grace uh, because the women that I looked up to and admired were like powerhouses and like fire and strength and like the Artemis prototype you know and and I didn't have the soft you know feminine thing in my viewpoint and I always saw that as weak I always saw that as like mm, like pushover no thanks don't want anything to do with that and it's interesting because I'm doing a lot of work in the feminine and masculine prototypes and archetypes and just like seeing how I can dance between the two and it's been really interesting for me to to shine light on why I was in resistance to it at first you know it's like any part of ourself that we're in resistance to that's where the work lies and I had to ask why why I was in resistance to it and then once I got clear like oh because I held it as weak I held it as you know a pushover and and like it just didn't seem attractive to me but then I got to go huh okay what do I fear about that interesting and then I just kept diving deeper and kind of going down the rabbit hole of what that meant for me and then trying it on like well let me see if it can mean power let me see if it can mean grace let me see if it can mean beauty and I've been playing with that and recognizing now that there's nothing more powerful in my opinion in my experience than surrender there's nothing more powerful than ease there's nothing more powerful than grace and receiving and the only way I understood that is trying it on and playing with it, you know, and it, it's not easy. It's certainly not easy, but what I'm recognizing is the parts that I quote unquote didn't love about myself or was in resistance to were actually the parts that needed the most love, you know, and needed the most light and needed the most attention. And it's really a step at a time. So for me, I'm just, I'm constantly asking myself, like, what am I in resistance to within myself? You know, where am I not willing to go? What am I not willing to share? What am I not willing to look at? And then once I have an answer for that, I dive in and go, okay, let's let's go. I'm willing. Let's go. And I don't always know where the journey is going to take me, but it eventually ends up taking me to my deeper truth, which is always perfect. <laughs> right. So you look at it very much from an emotional level as opposed to some people look at self-love. It's like, you know take a bath with bubbles or go do a yoga practice like you're looking at it more from internally where are you emotionally vulnerable or what is not speaking to you and then praising that with love within yourself. yeah and you know there are physical aspects too um, you know like I said I spend a lot of time in nature nature is important to me um, moving like dance is really important to me so just be in my body and allow my body to express as well arts um, but the crazy thing is, is because I'm so ambitious, doing is not my problem. <laughs> you know, like I have no problem doing and like getting stuff done. My biggest challenge is being. You know, it's just who am I without the doing? And and I think that's why I've turned it into an emotional deep dive because sometimes it's not about the actions. Sometimes it's about the stopping and listening and and just being with what's coming up. On the topic of doing so much, this year you've written a book, you and Preston traveled to Australia and parts of the world to do the Bridge Experience because you're getting married. Like, How do you do all this in such short periods? Um, I ask myself the same question sometimes. <laughs> um, honestly, I, 
Preston and I were sitting in this the other day where we, we said, honestly, there's never been a time in our lives that we've had more plates spinning in the air. Um, however, I've never felt more capable of holding it all. And I think, you know, I made the joke and it's kind of half true that I think if I was in the same place as far as everything that's going on a year and a half ago, two years ago, I probably would have had a nervous breakdown, like in the hospital, nervous breakdown, way too much to handle. Um, but what I get now is that I've been doing the work on the embodiment of grace, on the embodiment of mastery, on the embodiment of centeredness and groundedness and the work is working and I didn't really realize it until we kind of took a step back a couple months ago and said wow we're holding a lot and we're holding it you know and yeah I think it's really just about doing the work and and back to the book title you know imperfect we're always a work in progress and I think having that beginner's mentality and beginner's mindset of really showing up and going, okay, where is there still work to do? It's that sharpening of the saw that continues to expand what's possible for myself and for Preston. And because we're committed to the work and because we're committed to always peeling back more and more and more layers, everything, like who we are as an infinite being, keeps exponentially expanding for us. And I think the more we expand, the more we can hold. The more we expand, the more we can hold. So it's really about the work. Do you worry at all as a couple, you're going to get married, and I guess you're going to be committed to each other for the rest of your lives. As you peel back those layers and you grow, do you ever worry that you're going to grow too far apart, where at some point it might be a hindrance to your relationship, say 20, 30 years down the road, when you look at it on a long enough timeline? You know, I think when you're in this work, like we are, we're dedicated to this work, you know, this work is our life, you get that anything is possible. Like we we work in the realm of possibilities. That's what we work in. So with that being said, you also know that anything can come up and everything that can come up will come up and we don't know what that is you know we don't know what's waiting for us 20 years from now but what we do know is that we're committed to ourselves first and you know this is a, a big part of what we're bringing into our ceremony and our vows is it's not first a commitment to us like the unit it's first a commitment to us as an individual to the me that I am and to the he that he is. And with that commitment right. to us first and our highest growth and our exponential evolution during our time on this planet, we are also then making a commitment to do it in partnership with each other. So we know that that's going to take a ride and it's going to be this crazy journey that we have no idea where it's going to take us. And in a way, it's kind of exciting. Um, and we know that we're both committed to growth on a crazy level um, and that we share the same values. And with those values really like grounding and rooting our relationship, which are growth, freedom, and integrity, you know, we have room to kind of play a bit and to explore ourselves and to see where that takes us and, and know that we're committed to such a bigger thing than this human idea of marriage. It's, it's really like a universal idea of souls coming together to to learn and grow on this journey and we know that that's going to take us to some interesting places and we're so game for that that's why we're getting married you know we're like more growth awesome let's do this 
We can do it together and exactly. accelerate it. This is awesome. Exactly. And that's, you know, I think that's why we're growing at this exponential level too, is because we're both so committed to our own growth. And we know that in relationship, it's the best transformational workshop you could ever take is being, you know, face to face with somebody on such a deep, intimate level where there's nowhere to hide. And, and that's when the work begins. When you, when you keep showing up with that commitment, even when you don't feel like it, you know, even when it's so much easier to run and be like, I'm out, this is too hard, to stay in it and to face off again and again and again with those parts of ourselves that are scary or that we don't like or we don't want to fess up to, and, and that's the work. My friend Jordan Gray was on here as a relationship. Oh, I know him, yeah. He, there you go. And he says one plus one should be yeah. 13, right? That's what your relationship should be. It should never be one and a half. It's like it should be magnifying you guys to new levels. And I feel you and Preston are like such a power couple. And I'm excited to see what you guys do in the future. Thank you. That. Yeah. And then you throw kids into the mix with everything. And it's like, what a what a wild card that's going to be. <laughs> you know, it's like, we don't have kids yet. We have no idea what that's going to do. But that's going to be a whole other journey of learning and exploring and deepening our relationships to ourselves and the universe. So... Yeehaw, bring it on. <laughs> I'm curious to know, what did your early chapters look like? What did you do prior you got into this line of work, and how did you get here? Yeah, oh, man. I I think I had, like, 12 books before I got to this particular book. <laughs> um, we'll start it. So at a young age, I was super curious and loved learning, like, learning was my jam that was like playing you know kids would be outside playing and I'm like books you know <laughs> such a weirdo um, I love playing outside too but I loved I loved books and I loved exploring and reading and at a young age I was introduced to this human potential movement through Marianne Williamson and Tony Robbins books on tape through my mom at like eight years old and then that turned into Unleash the Power Within at 16 and I did Landmark Education at 18 and um Throughout my teenage years, I was modeling, so I was spending my summers in New York and Miami modeling and um, kind of like being in school and doing well at school, but I didn't really like school. I got bullied quite a bit. I didn't feel like I fit in. Um, I just felt like an outsider, so I kind of went to school because I had to, but was really excited to go work on the weekends and make money and meet people who are older than me, who are teaching me all these things in these bigger cities, and it was just like I was living a double life, which is kind of crazy. Um, and then at 15, I entered a singing contest on a dare and got a record contract. And I'm not a singer by any means, but this is when um, auto-tune came out so they can make anyone a decent singer. Um, but I was a performer. I went to like performing arts school and you know, I did all that stuff. And, uh, and yeah, and it was like, okay, let's see where this will go. And I kind of took the ride and that led me to being signed with a major label. and going on tour for two years with a major artist at the time who was like number one on the billboard charts, toured all over Asia and Europe and Africa and the States and Canada from 17 to 19 years old, uh, 19 and a half. And then final stop was in Africa. And I had this like aha moment where I was just selfish, crazy rock star lifestyle. And then I saw what the developing world looked like. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks where I was kind of transported back to the to the little girl that once cared so much about society and other people and recognized that I wanted to give back and wanted to do something. So came back to New York City where I was living at the time and said, I'm out in the music industry, like this doesn't resonate, doesn't feel aligned. 
And I started a nonprofit with my friend called EPIC, which stands for Everyday People Initiating Change. And that was like a book in and of itself. I mean, we had no idea what we were doing. No idea. Um, but we figured it out. You know, step by step, we were committed to the vision. We were committed to making an impact. And we eventually decided what our mission was going to be, which was to bring clean water to the developing world in Africa. And and it just, you know, year after year, spending, you know, a month at a time in Africa, we've, we figured out a way to do it sustainably and, and in a way that met our values and built community and really gave back not only to the community, but the community gave back to themselves. And we created this sustainable model where everyone was, was doing their part. And that was just incredible. Um, yeah, so then alongside Epic, because Epic was you know, the nonprofit and I was basically volunteering. Still going. Yeah, still yeah. going. <laughs> still going, yeah. like a decade later. Um, but I wasn't making money off Epic. You know, it was just this thing I was pouring all my savings into and spending a month out of every year. So I had to make money. So I got back into entertainment. I was modeling uh, full time, making six figures a year doing that. And then I got into television and became a host on network television. So I was sportscasting. I was had a show on HGTV doing like home makeovers. I was working for E! News. Like I was doing pretty well for myself. And I quote unquote had it all, you know, like everything I had on my, my goal list and my vision board, I had accomplished. And I felt totally off, you know, it was like, okay, I'm supposed to be happy now because I got all this stuff that society told me that this is like, this is the, the plan, this is the jam, this is what you do, right? You you build towards something, you build this vision out, and then once you get the vision, yes, you got the vision, okay, everything's supposed to be great. And I had the vision, and I still felt misaligned. And it was so funny because here I was even with Epic, like I'm doing this amazing work where I'm still able to give back, and I have contribution in my life, right? And you know, a lot of people have the vision, but they, they're missing the contribution piece. So I have the contribution piece and the vision, and I'm like, and I still feel off. And it's because I wasn't listening to my soul. And my soul was like screaming on the inside, I've got these gifts. I've got these gifts, and you're, you're supposed to use them. I've given them to you so that you can use them. And I kept going, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, whatever. I'll get to you someday. And my soul was so hungry for attention that that's the suffering I was feeling. I was feeling that like misalignment. And so when I finally, again, stopped all the doing and started listening, started listening to that voice within, I really started to realize why I'm here and, and what I'm here to do and how I'm here to share and what that looks like. And yes, it still looks like epic, but it also looks like contribution in my day-to-day -day life, in what I do for my for my living, and how I earn money, and how I serve on a daily basis. It's my whole life is steeped in contribution now, and I've never felt more aligned with my life purpose, with my truth, with my soul. And it's because I finally stopped doing and started listening, and it's changed everything. Yeah. Going back to Epic, when I was on the website, I read how, I guess you were 19 and a half, you said when you got back from uh, to New York, 
one thing I read is that you guys didn't have the money, the success, the power to start Epic. Thought like, you know, like you really can do this. You know, you came back from Africa and you saw this impoverished people. And then I guess you and the co saw a news report of an yes. ordinary lady that was able to create a nonprofit and at that point felt motivated yeah. to do it. And so talk a bit about the perception shift because I feel life is so much action and you can easily come back and look at, you know, from a place like Africa and say, problem's too big, I can't do anything about it. And then you and your co-founder, you know, like through this one little yeah. story became empowered and now here Epic is like a decade later. Talk a bit about that perception shift and what really allowed it to go from that to Yeah, that well, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because it's such a massive part of our story and it's actually where the name came from. Because um, when I came back from Africa, I met Tunil, who's my partner. We both talked about this yearning to want to give back, but we didn't really know how to do it. Like, neither of us went to school for it. We didn't have enough money to make it happen. Like, we were both young and broke, living in New York City. Um, you know, we didn't have the education. We didn't have the platform at that time. Like, Angelina Jolie was blowing up with her work with the UN, and Bono was doing the Red campaign. And we were just, like, you know, totally defeated and deflated, like, you know, womp womp, we're not celebrities, we're not rich, we're not famous, like, what are we really going to be able to do? Like, how are we really going to be able to serve? And we sat in that, you know, disempowering story for about a year and a half. And, you know, it was kind of always that good idea that we talked about. And sure enough, one day we're in Trinidad, my partner's family's from Trinidad, and we're in Trinidad visiting her family and playing a game of cards, and we're like in this fiery game of cards, and the TV's on in the background. It was the BBC, and all of a sudden it was as if like the record stopped, everything went silent, and we tune in to this story about this woman who was a school teacher in the UK who raised $300,000 for this village in Africa. And it was like, in that moment, every single excuse that we ever had and told ourselves went to crap. Like, we could not use it anymore, you know, because she wasn't a celebrity, she had no education in the nonprofit world at all, she didn't have a platform, she had no money, like she raised the money herself. And she just figured it out because she had the passion and the persistence to say, okay, yeah, I'm in, let's figure this out. And in that moment, our perception changed. You know, what was possible for her then became a possibility for us. And we really understood and let that sink in for us where she's an everyday person. You know, she's just an everyday person. And at that time, we felt like everyday people and that was, that was the excuse that held us back from starting for so long. But in that moment, our perception shifted to that's our power. Our power is that we're everyday people. And we can initiate a change in the world. We just have to say yes. And that's where the name Epic came from, is, is really getting that there's nothing more epic than an everyday person. An everyday person who doesn't have access to all the stuff that celebrities and politicians have access to, but who have access to the deepest, deepest place in their heart that is unstoppable. If they say yes to something, it's unstoppable. And that's that's really what, what we wanted to do with Epic, along with the clean water, is to inspire people. And you know, we started Epic, we started talking at schools to, to um, grade school kids and middle school and high school kids about becoming an Epic human. And what does that look like? It doesn't mean they have to travel to Africa like we do, but find something in your own backyard. You know, go to an old folks' home or, you know, mow your, mow your neighbor's yard. Find a way to be an epic human, to give back, to contribute, to say, I'm here and I'm a part of this community called the world and here's how I want to serve. And that's really been such a huge part of our mission to, to change that, that shift in perception for people to say, 
oh, it is possible for me because I'm an everyday person, and that makes me powerful. Yeah, when I read about it, it seemed amazing. I was like, this is a really cool story. And the fact you guys got empowered, right, from the fact that you you were like, no, we can't yeah. do this. And you're like, hey, wait a minute, let's look at this again. And it's like, you know, we have time, you know, we have energy, and it's like, those are the two most important okay. things, and you apply those two things, and then you can go and just do it. Totally, like, and that's it. Like, if you've got breath in your body, you're winning. Like, winning, you can do whatever you want because you're alive. You know, and, and I think we get boggled down by all of our excuses and I don't have enough time I don't have this we make time for what's important to us we always do like if you look at your life you know especially and you can always tell when when somebody meets somebody new and they're the person that's like oh, I just don't have time and then they meet someone who's awesome all of a sudden they got all this time for the awesome person it's like girl you had time that whole time <laughs> you just you weren't prioritizing <laughs> It's all about priorities. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You have a 12-week program online with Preston. I believe it's called the Bridge yes. Method. Talk a little bit about what that program yeah, is. Yeah, the Bridge Method is its like our baby. It's the first thing we really birthed together. And um, we call it the Bridge because it's a bridge between science and spirituality, philosophy and religion, um, the bridge between all these worlds, mind, body, soul, and it's the bridge from where we are currently right now to our true self. So the bridge is really kind of a philosophy that, that we work with and we do it in our workshops and in our program. But the program is three months of intensive training and in all the tools that we use that have really shifted us as human beings. They've shifted our awareness, shifted the way we show up in the world. And we get that we're like these crazy nerds for transformation and human potential. And most people aren't doing the amount of research and study and workshops that we're doing and investing all this money in. And quite frankly, it's kind of a crowded world, right? Like it's overwhelming out there. There's so much information. And if somebody's looking to get that next level in their life, it's overwhelming. Like where do I start? What do I do? What do I study? How do I study it? So we wanted to kind yeah. of synthesize all this amazing information from all these amazing teachers that we've studied from and um, methodologies that we've studied from and ancient wisdom traditions that we've studied from and just go, here you go, we've put it in one program, we've organized it for you and we're taking you through this journey of mind first, then into emotional and physical body, then into the soul. And we really take you through this journey of, of building a relationship with all three of those aspects of ourselves. And when we have a deep relationship with those three aspects of ourselves, something shifts. And again, I think most people in the world are, are deeply out of relationship with themselves uh, because we're just so distracted and we're so busy all the time. So this is a really big step to really step inside and take a deep look at where you're at, where you want to be, what you want to create, and who you actually are. And we dive deep into all those subjects. So we've had thousands of people all around the world do it and create massive breakthroughs and change their entire life. And we've got a, a new group going through it right now in the Inner Circle program, which is like they add private mentorship with us on. So we do group calls and it's just awesome. Like we've gotten to know people from all over the globe and it's just been an incredible ride. Is the program a combination of video exercises, written exercises? Like, what does it look like if you were actually a student in the program? What does that look like? Yeah, if you're you? a student, so um, basically 
think of three modules. We've got mind, body, soul, and each, each module is a month long. Now those month long modules break down into four weeks and each week you get a video lesson that kind of overarts the whole week's topics and then each day, five days a week, you get a lesson and an assignment. So we say it takes about anywhere from 10 to 30 minutes per assignment depending on how deep you go with it. Some people spend hours with it and like really dive deep and they're like super in. Some people take 10 minutes and that's all they need and they're also doing it deep but in their own way. Um, so you've got five lessons a week, one video a week, and that goes for 12 weeks. Nice. Yeah, amazing. it's great. It's so great. What does your next chapter look like? You've obviously done all these great things so far. What's next for mm, Um What's next for me? You know, it's a, it's a giant question mark. It always is, right? They, they say, uh, when you make plans, God laughs. There's like a quote that says that. I probably just butchered it, but it's something like that. Um, yeah, I think what I would love to have show up in life is um, family. You know, I'm getting married to the love of my life, and, and we get to build a healthy family, however that looks. You know, that might look like kids of our own, adopting kids. It might look like a combination of both. Um, we have this dream of building... Uh, human potential center here in Los Angeles in the mountains and you know that's kind of in the forefront in the next five to ten years and just keep serving as best as I can you know I I don't know with technology how that's going to continue to evolve but I'm excited to be a part of it and I'm excited to just keep sharing and keep creating and keep innovating on on how I can reach more people with these messages of light and love and yeah, you know, I mean, up on my plate, super next is the wedding, which is like two weeks away. And then after that, I'll be launching Soul School, which is my online membership program. Um, and then from there, Preston and I are building out a relationship course. We're building out a branding course because we get so many people asking for support in branding and in relationships. So, you know, people are asking for it. So we're building it. And yeah, and then other than that, I'm just like, I'm like standing with my arms wide open, like, whatever you have for me, I'm a yes. Let's go. When you're building out these new programs, is there one thing that you struggle with or anything that holds you back from making them happen quicker? Mm. I think the biggest thing that holds me back is feeling like there's a lot of plates spinning in the air. You know, like, there's a lot already out and moving and, and we're you know building our tour in Australia and New Zealand for next year. We've got workshops coming up in LA and Virginia and London and got a trip to Africa. So I mean there's there's a lot happening. So I think the only thing that really holds me back is the conversation of fitting it all in and creating the space for it. But then in that same breath I know that I always find the space for it. So it's just a matter of getting it out of my head and getting it onto like a whiteboard or a chalkboard or on paper because if it lives up here, it creates this anxiety of like, oh, you still, there's me, don't forget about me, don't forget about me. But when I get it out, it's like, oh, okay, you're going to do something with me. You know, then all of a sudden I can, my brain can kind of relax a little bit. So that's my biggest thing. Like I'm, I'm a creator, I'm an artist, and I think getting my ideas out is the big thing for me because if, if they stay in here I think that's what drives artists crazy and 
you know, because then they've just got all this creative energy circling in their brain and they're not doing anything with it. Um, and I used to have a lot of that. So I've just learned to get it out on paper, to honor it, to let it breathe a little bit, let it build and um, see where it goes. We've talked about Preston a fair bit in this interview. I'm curious to know, how did you know he was the one? You know, a lot of people always kind of worry. It's like, how do you find the significant one, the special one? So what was it for you mm-hmm. that you saw in him that really, like, he's the one I know? Yeah, it's so interesting because people always used to tell me, like, oh, you know when you know, and I thought they were kind of full of it. Um, I'm like, ah, oh, come on, you know? Um uh, because then I also thought, well, yeah, you grow to love people, too, and, like, people grow on you. And I had all these other stories about how love could look. But with him, it, it really was that feeling of, oh, my gosh. It was so it was so obvious and apparent, even though I wasn't, in my brain, ready to settle down. Like, I was in my year of being single. Like, I had never been single as an adult. And I was like, I just want to be single for a year. And I was in my year of being single, and I meet him. And I'm like, damn it. <laughs> you know? So it wasn't like I was looking. I wasn't looking for it. Um, but it was so obvious. And it's, so, it's funny, because I was dating uh, someone else at the time who was great, who was, like, perfect on paper, um, an amazing human being, just, like, an awesome individual. Um, who's going to make somebody a really happy woman one day. Um, but there was just something that was like, he's awesome. And all my friends were like, you're crazy. This guy's it. Like, he's he's it. But there was something that, like, wasn't a hell yes. You know? It was like a yeah. It was one of those, like, yeah. You know? I was kind of, like, talking myself into it. Yeah. Yeah. This guy's awesome. And he is. Yeah. I'll go on that yeah, road exactly. trip. It'll be fun. Like, kind why of thing, not? Yeah. And he was. He's fantastic but there it wasn't a hell yes and when I met Preston what was interesting was as much as my mind was like nope 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 intuitively it was like yep yep yes this yep hell yes this is it you know and I was like really and I, I remember actually having a moment where I looked up like you know to universe source god whatever and I was just like really like right now and and this guy like this guy's gonna be my husband you know it's just because he didn't look like the typical guy that I dated you know he was very eccentric and like dressed crazy and you know and at the time I'd I'd never even seen somebody like him other than Prince and Lenny Kravitz you know so it's like in my brain I'm like people like this exist you know Um, because I'm from a small town where people wear like the same stuff you know um but that's now it's one of the things I love most about him is his artistry in everything that he does. I love that. But it's funny because at the time, mentally, it was like, yeah, no, that just doesn't look like my type of guy, you know? And then talking to him, like, soul to soul, it was so obvious. Um, and the intangible thing that was missing with the other guy was the intangible thing that was so obvious and apparent with Preston. And it was this feeling of vision and growth and commitment to something bigger than just himself and what he wants to create for him it was something bigger it was like this grand vision and I had always held that for myself like this grand vision for the world and I thought I was weird and like the only person who thought that way (laughs) so I'm like maybe I'm crazy like maybe I'm this person who just like is an anomaly in the world and then sure enough I meet 
the the male version of me and it was just like oh he gets it like he gets my passion he gets what I'm up to he gets why I'm up to it because he's doing the same thing and that was just so awesome and and I don't know what I believe about past lives or anything but I feel like when I met him that we've done this before which was strange but not that is strange a little bit. No, yeah, I get it. Yeah, it was just like, wow, I, I feel like I've known this person for, for eons. And it was just so much deeper than, like, this world. It was just, yeah. Yeah. So if any, that made sense. It sounds a perfect alignment. Yeah, it, was, it sounds amazing. I think that was a great answer, more than I was expecting, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, it's like, it's one of those things, like, I can't really explain it, and that's why we're getting married. <laughs> you know, it's amazing yeah. is there any last words you want to uh, wrap up with or any advice you want to leave the audience with um the biggest thing I want to say is like anyone who's listening to this is someone who's on the path and that just gets me excited because the more people on the path the more we're waking up to the truth the more we're seeing who we really are the more we're listening to that inner voice the more we're saying yes to love the more we're saying yes to our vision so keep that up you know I, I know it's not easy in this world to be committed to that because the world wants to kind of pull us in another direction and pull us towards hate and separation and consumerism and you're not enoughness and the more we can keep saying yes to listening to the truth of who we are the more the world shifts and and I just want to congratulate all of you listening to this because you're already in it like you're already up to great stuff because you're listening to something like this. So I, I just, that really is an honor for me to, to speak to you and to have you invite me into your world and keep it up. The world needs more of, of you and I and us and it's all an us thing anyway. So yeah. A hundred percent. Thank you so much for your time. And I'll uh, put links to all the stuff that you're doing, all the amazing stuff you're doing. world. But yeah, where can people find you? If you want to track you down, what should they go check out? Uh, yeah, uh, if you go to alexipanos.com, you can literally get everything there. You can find me on social media there. You can find me on YouTube. You can email me. I'm pretty available all over the web. So please reach out. Let me know how you found me and let me know where you're from and what you're up to in the world. Amazing. Thank you for your time today. Really enjoyed this. Of course. Thank you. Wow, what a podcast there with Alexi Panos. I'm so grateful for having her on the show. She just put out her book, 50 Ways to Yay. Check it out. I've been reading it and I've enjoyed it so much. Thank you today for tuning in. I appreciate your time. And if you enjoyed this episode or know someone that could benefit listening to it, please share it with them. And I look forward to having you next time on the show.